Today in current events, from a Christian perspective, the Texas border crisis continues. And in a weird twist, apparently no major news outlets really care. What is going on and why does it matter? We'll look at that then. Back in Ohio, we get an update on the bill to protect children from trans surgeries. Next, we hear about a prominent theologian who has a really bad take on attending weddings. And lastly, we have inspiring stories about two brothers who, as coaches, boldly advocate for meaningful Christian perspectives. All this and more today. I'm Matt Odegaard, and this is Church Public. Welcome back to Church Public. I'm your host, as always, Matt Odegaard, and really appreciate you stopping by today, audio listener. If you are just listening on audio, I love you and thank you. If you want to see any of the videos and pictures that we'll look at today, you can go to churchpublic.com and you can go to YouTube. I'll upload it there. We'll see what happens today. And if you want to help, you can go to churchpublic.com support to bring you current events from a Christian perspective to help you live out your faith in everyday life. So through that, we're going to look at some news. Let's get to the news. I want to bring you a Texas update because I think this is one of the biggest stories happening in the news today. And it's also interesting to me that, as I'll show in a moment, a lot of, a lot of news outlets are just not covering this. And I think that says something. But... There is still a stalemate on the border. The Texas National Guard, which is a Texas state force, is not backing down based on Governor Abbott's support, which I showed you the last time. You can get more of an info, uh, an info on that if you go back to the archives at churchpublic.com or any of the podcast places. And Biden has given Governor Abbott ultimatums to let the Border Patrol back in to remove the fence and resume the onslaught of illegal aliens. But so far, Abbott and all of his forces have said no. Just to remind everyone, President Joe Biden's border crisis went to the highest level ever last month, according to newly released numbers from U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. Federal agents encountered 302,034 illegal aliens last month, the highest level ever recorded, surpassing the previous record that Biden set in September 2023, when 269,735 aliens were encountered. 19 of those were on the terrorist watch list, at least. So the situation on the southern border has gone down so far, so fast, that December's numbers are almost the same as the total number of illegal immigrants, illegal aliens arrested in the entire southern border of the United States for the whole of 2017. That number was 303,000. The number of illegal aliens immigrants encountered on the southern border last month is comparable to some of the United States' larger cities. I think this is interesting and also sad, like Orlando, Newark, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Irving, Lubbock, etc. So what happened? Just to recap, so everybody's on the same page here. Earlier this month, the Texas National Guard took control of Shelby Park in Eagle Pass, Texas. Customs and Border Patrol agents were filmed cutting through razor wire to make it easier for these illegal immigrants to enter the United States. On Monday, just a few days ago, the Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to four that federal officials may cut through razor wire again. The Texas authorities have installed to repel migrants from crossing the border, border illegally. Shortly after the ruling, Texas leaders, including Republican Governor Greg Abbott and Attorney General Ken Paxton, said 
no, the fight is not over. We're not going to back down on this. Since then, 25 Republican governors have backed Abbott in Texas on Thursday as the state seeks to secure the southern border. Again, if you're listening on audio, I'm just showing you the picture of the 25 states. I think this is kind of incredible what these states have done in solidarity towards Texas saying Let's stop letting people in illegally. This is to say nothing about regular immigration. At this moment, we're just saying, just close the border and stop letting all these people stream in. Uh, Governor Abbott said, I'm sorry, one of the governors, governors, excuse me, this statement said, we stand in solidarity with our fellow governor, Greg Abbott, and the state of Texas in utilizing every tool and strategy, including razor wire fences to secure the border. This was the statement signed by the 25 governors. It continues, we do it in part because the Biden administration is refusing to enforce immigration laws already on the books and is illegally allowing mass parole across America of migrants who entered our country illegally, end quote. As a side note, from a biblical perspective, and I think this is kind of important for us, I'm seeing a lot of people on the socials expressing their disdain for Abbott and Christians who don't love these immigrants. I think it's important to point out that you can love immigrants and at the same time not want unlimited illegal immigration. It should be obvious in that statement, illegal immigration, but apparently obvious things just aren't real anymore. To state it outright, your responsibility is first to your family and your community. That's biblical. That's just real. You must take care of, protect, and provide for them. Then, when you have the resources to steward and provide for your neighbor, you absolutely should do that as well. There's no biblical command to starve or endanger your own family for the sake of someone else. Yes, you should generously give in whatever way God is calling you to give. But there's actually the opposite claim, the opposite commandment in the Bible that you're supposed to steward your resources so well that you can give away generously, not be ridiculous with your resources by letting anyone and everyone into your country, no matter who they are or how they get here. So we do have an obligation to take care of our family. Paul tells Timothy explicitly, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's 1 Timothy 5.8. This is an important point. When you see people posting online saying, uh, Jesus loved all immigrants or Christians are supposed to love all immigrants. Yes, we're supposed to love people, but what do you do? That's where the rubber meets the road. Do you just let an unending stream of people into your personal house? Because why wouldn't you do that? Or do you say my house is for my family and anyone I invite in, and then I'm going to love on and care for whomever else I can with the steward, with stewarding the resources that I've been given. Obviously the second is the biblical way to go, but there are people who are trying to pull on your heartstrings and say, well, just let anybody in no matter what, with no checks or balances at all. This, of course, is nonsense. We need to make sure the people that are coming in really should be here and are not dangerous to anyone else. And unfortunately, as I've mentioned before, and I'm not going to go into in detail today, but because of the unchecked illegal immigration, there have been an incredible increase in things like human trafficking, like drugs and drug cartels and all other manner of illegal problems. This is not the way to lead a country. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and just say, let's continue on figuring out how to love people and yet love them in a way that is helpful to our families, to our communities and those around us. 
And again, uh, as a note, as I mentioned at the beginning of this story, I think it's interesting, weird, strange, perhaps telling in terms of the election coming up that this story is nowhere. Uh, you can check again today or whenever you're listening to this, but I checked CNN. I couldn't find the story anywhere on the homepage of their website. I checked MSN. It was not on the homepage anywhere that I could find. I checked the Wall Street Journal. Nothing. USA Today. I did find it all the way down. I mean, I had to scroll the equivalent of pages and pages, and then it was a line. It wasn't even a picture, you know, like the picture of this Texas state thing that I'm showing you, the United States supporting Texas. I couldn't find it. I did find it on Newsweek. It was a short article, but... It's interesting to me, and you can make of this what you will, that the main news media is not reporting on this. I think it actually speaks to what is going on here because this is a political loser. Of course, people know what I just mentioned, that you can't just let unlimited people in, especially when most of the people are coming in for nefarious reasons. And if you see any of the videos that are actually coming through the border, it's not these wonderful families that are fleeing from all sorts of persecution. It's mostly military-aged, which is a phrase you'll hear over and over again, but military-aged males. What does that mean? Is that significant? I think it is. You make of that what you will. All right, I'll keep updating on Texas as things change. At the moment, I kind of don't expect much to change, but we'll see what happens. Coming back to a story I covered a few weeks ago, I think this is an important story. I mentioned it at the time, but this is back in Ohio. So in Ohio, the legislature has now overridden the Republican governor's veto. What does this mean? It gets a little bit complicated in the whole political sphere. I'll try to iron it out as much as possible. But essentially what happened is Republican Governor Mike DeWine vetoed a bill which would have banned transgender hormone treatments and surgeries from being performed on children and ended boys and men from competing against girls, which obviously should be eliminated. So I talked about this the other day. And my point is the governor missed an opportunity to protect these children and to actually, what I would say, be conservative, conserve the family, conserve those things. Instead, he vetoed the bill that would have protected children from medical and surgical and gender transitions, and that bill would have kept men out of women's sports, which obviously should be the case. Turns out, again, politically speaking, that was not the end of the story. I actually get, did an update on this a couple of episodes ago as well, that the House, the House of Representatives, had unvetoed the bill, right? They had voted against it and said, we are, are going to push this through anyway. And it was about to go to the Senate. As it turns out, it did. And so now the representatives have pushed the bill through anyway. This is actually great. And uh, as a side note, listen, I've got to tell you this because I just hear this. I see this on the news, on the socials all the time. For those that say we're not doing democracy... This, I think, is actually a great example of doing democracy. This is the process in practice. The, the process in place of our government is working well when it's allowed to actually work well. So take that for what it's worth as we lead up into the election forthcoming this year. Anyway, Governor DeWine's veto was officially overridden after the Senate voted 24 to 8 following the Republicans' January 10th vote, which I reported on then, to do the same where their vote was 65-28. So, again, to try to straighten this out, there was a bill. It made it through. The governor said no. It went back, and then the House and the Senate said, no, we need to push this bill through, this House Bill 68. It's made up of two parts. These two parts are important for you to understand from a political and Christian worldview perspective. The first 
quote, Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act, end quote, and the second, quote, Save Women's Sports Act, end quote. The first bans transgender procedures on minors, which of course we should do. Uh, I'm going to skip some of the details of this, but you, I think, have a pretty good idea of what that is. The second, of course, prohibits males from competing in female sports from ages uh, from grades K through 12 and at the collegiate level, which, of course, we also should do. Uh, there was a story that I didn't get a chance to clip, but it's a story that I've been watching for a while because I, as you know, uh, listen, I'm not the biggest sports person. I understand that. Actually, later today, we are going to talk sports things. So for you sports people, I hope you enjoy it. But you know, I'm not the biggest sports person. On the other hand, one of the sports that I do really enjoy is surfing. And there's been this story that I, I don't have time to talk about too much today. But it is that Rip Curl, the brand, has dropped Bethany Hamilton. Remember Bethany Hamilton, the shark attack, and she lost an arm, but then kept being a surfer. And she's an incredible surfer, much better than I'll ever be. With one arm, which is really frustrating uh, because she has one arm and she's a better surfer than me. But anyway, they dropped her from the brand after it was a decade or two because she said, I won't surf in competitions with men because that is obviously unfair. And then what Rip Curl did was say, OK, you're out. And then immediately installed, you guessed it, a man in the women's Rip Curl ads. I, I feel like I need to say that again, but that's a man in the women's rope curl ads. I don't have the picture of that for you. I may not even post that ever, but you get the idea. At any rate, what I like about this Ohio bill that other states should do is they're saying no. And even when the, the Republican, presumably conservative governor says, I can't push this bill through, the House and the Senate said, yes, we should. And I love that. So, DeWine had initially vetoed this bill. He said signing it would hinder parental rights. And I have to say again, listen, and I said this at the time, but I, I need to be really clear. Of course, I believe parents should be allowed to parent very much so, and they should not have much interference from the government at all. However, when the parent wants to physically harm a child for no good reason, like the reason we just talked about, medically or surgically changing their gender, or at least attempting to, then the very nature of government, namely to protect the people, has a duty to step in. That's what it is supposed to do. It should be obvious that parents should not condone surgically and medically castrating their children, but apparently in the world we currently live in, it's not only not obvious, but people argue for that quote-unquote right which of course it's not. Anyway, that was confusing. This new law banning gender surgeries on children in Ohio is expected to go into effect in around three months, which I'm really excited for. Let's pray for that and for more conservative and might I say Christian leaders to stand up and speak for those that cannot speak for themselves. All right, um, man, this next one, I kind of didn't want to talk about and I've been sitting on for probably two weeks at this point and I really still don't want to talk about it, but it's making the rounds on social media and on the conservative sites, and I feel like I need to talk about it. And the reason I need to talk about it is it illustrates something that I have personally been asked the question of many times, and people just still don't seem to understand. So I want to use this story as an example, not making an example of this person, and I'll tell you who in a moment, but to use it as an example for us to understand the biblical principles behind it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain what happened. I'm going to explain my perspective, and I'm going to explain the biblical view on this. So sadly, 
theologian Alastair Begg, um, in an interview a little bit ago, said you should attend a same-sex or trans wedding. Now, again, I do have to caveat here and say I have nothing against him. In fact, quite the opposite. I have learned so much from him, and I really like him, and I really like his theological takes on many things in the Bible. So it makes me sad on this one thing. So on the one hand, I want to be careful to say I'm not canceling him I don't even dislike him. I just think on this one thing, he's taken the wrong path. And I'll tell you why momentarily. And and part of that too, I have to say is, um, he has done more ministry than I will ever do probably in my life, more than 50 years at this point. And, and I would hope later in my life that I would do as much as he has done. Again, however, I think he's wrong on this particular point. I hope I would like to say this. I hope he recants and comes back to reality. I wish him no ill will. And and I, <laughs> and in full disclosure, I'm no greater or less than he. In fact, I'm probably much less than he is with all the ministry that he has done. That said, when I make mistakes, I also hope to own them and repent and do better after them. I pray he does the same. So what happened? The controversy here stems from a recently resurfaced comment Beg made in his podcast, Truth for Life, in September. He discussed his new book, The Christian Manifesto, which actually I plan to read and sounds like it's going to be very good, which again is kind of a sad and frustrating part of this whole thing. But as part of the podcast, he touched on a specific question. He said a grandmother had asked him about her grandson and she said, quote, he, the grandson, is about to be married to a transgender person, end quote, and whether she should attend the wedding. Beg went on to answer, quote, we field questions all the time that go along the lines of my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person. I don't know what to do about this. I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, which is a huge responsibility. He went on to say in a conversation like that, and people may not like this answer. Again, this is continuing the quote. He said, does your grandson, he's asking the grandmother, understand your belief in Jesus? She answers, yes. He went on with another question. Does your grandson understand your belief in Jesus makes it such that you cannot countenance in an affirming way like the choices he's made in life? She again answered, yes. So he answered or answered her and said, well then, okay, as long as he knows that, I suggest you do go to the ceremony and buy them a gift, end quote. Um, He went on to comment about that, quote, well, here's the thing, your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will reinforce the fact that they said, these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared to countenance anything. He went on, continuing, it's a fine line, it really is. People need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, but I think we're going to take that risk. We're gonna have to take the risk a lot more if we wanna build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and don't understand that he is king, end quote. I know that was long, but I think it was important to hear the whole the whole phrase, the whole section, so that you understand where he is coming from. And again, I love his heart in wanting to reach people. I just think that his conclusion in what he has said is just wrong and not biblical. And that again makes me sad. I'm not calling out particularly. I just hope that people will learn from this and understand what's really happening here. Part of that too, if I may be so bold as to say is, I believe he's in the 70 year old range and that's a different It's a different mindset. It's a different worldview than what's going on now. And that does make a difference. It does make a difference in how do we do ministry and how do we 
understand what's going on in the current culture. Again, not that I'm any better, but I think because I'm a little bit younger than that, I understand some of the culture that's going on right now and tying that into this idea that we used to, uh, I don't know if I say we anymore, I guess I was part of it. We used to want to say we're really nice and we want to win people to Christ. We're winsome, so we want to win people to Christ. But the problem and the thing that I've come to, to put it as clearly as I can, is what you win people with is what you win people to. That's the most succinct way that I can put it. And what I mean by that is if you lie to them and say it's okay to do certain things when it's clearly not in the Bible, then when they get into the kingdom, more or less, right, when they become a quote-unquote Christian, then you end up in this place where you have to unpack that and say, well, yeah, I said that, but I didn't mean that. Or I acted that way, but I shouldn't have acted that way. Rather than just saying from the get-go, hey, read the Bible and do what it says. Do the right thing no matter what, even when the culture is saying don't do it. So his words made this trend. Progressive Christians, quote unquote, whatever that means, um, are using his words to say, yes, this is great, LGP, LGBTQ, AAIP, hashtag plus plus squiggle emoji is the way to go, and even Alistair Begg agrees, that's what they're saying, not me. Um, and then other conservative and reformed Christians are saying, oh, this is terrible, and he's terrible, which I also don't think is the right thing. So we need to, again, understand that none of us are better than any others. I make mistakes just as much, if not more than anybody else, but we have to stand up for what the true things are. In an additional response, again, I mentioned this was on a Truth For Life program, and this Christian radio ministry has dropped him from the program after decades, um, and that's, uh, that is also troublesome, but at the same time, we understand where they're coming from. He, okay, here it is, yeah, he's 71, serves at Parkside Church in Cleveland um, with his ministry, Truth For Life. American Family Radio had canceled this show. They said they contacted the pastor to give him a, quote, opportunity to say I messed up right there and provide him with the opportunity to say, quote, I said the wrong thing, but no apology was forthcoming. Um, a representative from American Family said that two individuals they talked with, um, Walker and I, they talked with individuals from Begg's ministry. They made it clear that he believes homosexuality is wrong. He hasn't changed his views on that at all. He does not believe that homosexual marriage is valid and the practice of homosexual activity is, as the Bible says, this is their quote, an abomination. So all four of us were in agreement with that, but what we could not get them to change, and they said Begg is not going to change his mind, is the issue of whether Christians should attend. And I know you're going to say, Matt, you're splitting hairs. What does it matter if you go? I'm going to get to that because I think this is really important. So they went on to say the goal of the call, the goal of all Christians when approaching these issues should be reconciliation, but reconciliation in truth. I'm going to pause there and say, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And that's a really important thing. If you don't say true things, if you don't live true things, if you don't live in that true place, then the thing you're doing or the thing you're saying is false and is a lie. And that's the big problem here. It may seem like a small thing to attend at that wedding, but it is in fact a large thing. I'm going to give you some biblical reasons for that in just a moment. So this group from American Family Radio said the goal of the call was to get to that point with Alistair Begg's team, they say, unfortunately, they didn't get there. They said they pressed the issue multiple times and even asked point blank, quote, so are you guys stating Pastor Alistair Begg is standing by his original comment. He has no regrets. He didn't misspeak. He doesn't want to clarify anything. And they said, quote, yes, he's standing by his original comment. Okay, 
So let's get to Christian worldview perspective because I want to be as clear as I can in why this is an issue. So there is no biblical reason for Christians to attend a celebration of what God calls sin. And that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about celebrating. A wedding is a celebration. It is a culmination of friends and family getting together to celebrate an action, and in this case, a marriage, which on the one hand, same-sex marriage doesn't exist because marriage is between a man and a woman. But on the other hand, this gets out of hand and rolls out of control very quickly. Think of the recent statement from the Pope, which I covered extensively. You can go back and listen to that, where he said you can quote-unquote bless same-sex people, but not their relationship or something like that. I think he actually released, I don't have it here, but like a 45-page document saying exactly what he meant. And let me just stop and say this. If you have to explain the Bible in a passage in so many pages, when it is very clear that a man and a woman make a marriage, you're doing something outside of the Bible. I don't know how else to say that, but that's just the clear thing of it. And the proof of this implication taken from his statement is... Immediately, priests all over the world went into action blessing same-sex unions, same-sex relationships. And this was all over the world. I brought you some of those stories the other day, but this is what's going on. So if you ride this line and try to say you can do some things, but not all the things, you're just going the wrong way. A pastor of mine years and years and years ago said this because, and I've had this, I've had people in, in my ministry say this too. Where is the line and like, how do I get close to it without going over? It'll be some question like that. And I, I mean, you may have even said that question or asked that question. Where is the line of sin and how do I not go past the line? <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, as a pastor mentioned to me so many years ago, that's the wrong question. The question should not be, where's the line and how can I get close to it without going over? Like, where's the cliff and how do I stand on the edge and kind of lean into the wind over the cliff and not fall over the edge of the cliff? No, the line of holiness, what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to live is what Christ, I'm sorry, what um, Peter rephrases of the Old Testament phrase, be holy as I am holy. God says, be holy as I am holy. So it's not how close to the line can I get, it's how close to God can I get because the line doesn't matter. I mean, do you understand what this means, right? You're supposed to live a holy life and be holy in your life, not how much little sin or how close to sin can I get, but not quite sin. Uh, and, and that's the thing that is the problem here. If you start saying, well, there's a line and I'm just gonna kind of stand next to it and sort of see if I can you know, like do just some things and they're not quite sin, but the sin is right there. You're living in the wrong place. Um, and, and that's what we really have to understand. So we get to the, we get to the item of attendance, attendance at the ceremony. You say, well, what does attending the ceremony mean? I just, I just want to love them. Sure. You want to show quote unquote love to them. You want to avoid offending them, but the cost is being really confusing. It's being biblically confusing. Do you believe the Bible or do you not? Do you believe marriage is between one man and one woman or not? If you go, then you're saying you don't really believe it. If a Christian attends a wedding, uh, that's a same-sex wedding or whatever, and the, and the marriage officiant, you, I know I've said this when I have officiated weddings. You probably have heard this. Maybe you even had this at your wedding. Some something to the effect of if anyone sees any reason why these two should not be wed, let them speak now, forever hold their peace. Wouldn't you, Christian, be obligated to say, actually, yeah, I don't think it's a real wedding because marriage is between a man and a woman. So this isn't we can't do this. 
Wouldn't you be obligated to say that? Or again, do you have the sin of omission, which we don't talk about very much, but uh, like I've got some Bonhoeffer books on my shelf behind me where one of his big things was the Christians, the pastors didn't do enough during the Nazi issues. And by the time they said anything, it was too late. And that is a sin. If you don't, if you know the right thing and you don't do it, don't say it, you are also sinning. We don't talk about that very much, but that's a sin. Sin of commission, you're doing the thing. Sin of omission, you know what's right and you don't do the thing. These are these are issues that we have to point up with. So could you sit in a ceremony and they say a thing like that? And even if they don't say it, they mean it. That's what the ceremony is about. But you don't say anything. This It cannot be separated. It, it cannot. I know you're saying oh, it's not that big a deal, but it cannot be separated from the larger definition of marriage. And that is what we've talked about here many times. And you've heard probably all over the place. What is a woman? What is a man? What is marriage? If you don't know and you don't know there's a difference between a man and a woman, a man and a man and a man and a woman are not the same. If the definition or anything outside of those is outside of the Bible, outside of revealed creation, outside of reality, then it's not biblical. And we can't support that implicitly or explicitly. Christians who attend gay weddings are just like Christians who obey a transgender person's preferred pronouns or any of these gender pronouns. They're affirming sin. They're lying. Lying is not loving. There's a commandment in the Ten Commandments about not lying. And you're like, oh, no, it's it's not that bad. It's not that serious. No, it is. It is. If you're not telling the truth, then you're lying. I'm not I'm not saying be harsh or be mean or be rude, but you still have to present the truth. And this is the part that the culture is very adamant and angry about you. And what they'll say is, here's what they'll say, and I want to prepare you for this. I want you to understand the full context of what's going on in the culture. If you don't attend, you're being hateful. This is another lie. It's a lie that you're being hateful. The culture will tell you it's hateful to not affirm 100% of what someone does. But of course, that's false. It's obviously false if you think about it for five seconds. You don't have to show acceptance to show love. You can love someone. You can disagree with their actions. Get ready for this one. You can love someone and even discipline them because you love them. And any parent knows this firsthand. (laughs) Of course, you see something your child does and you go, oh, that's a terrible choice. I'm not going to affirm that choice. I may even discipline you for that choice. And that's because you love them. This whole idea that if you love somebody, you're going to let them do whatever they want to do is just ridiculous on its face. But we, even Christians, have tried to use our heart and we've been lulled into this empathetic reality of, well, I guess you should just do whatever you feel like doing. And that's just this crazy lie of you be you live your truth coming out in a different way. And as Christians, we cannot do that. We cannot do that. You, as a believer in Christ, have to live inside of the biblical reality. If you want to claim Christ, hey, if you want to live however you want to live, you go do that. I don't don't suggest that, but you do have the freedom to go and live however you want to live. But you, you have to choose one way or another. If you say you believe in Christ and you follow the Bible... You have to believe in Christ and follow the Bible. Like, that's just how this whole thing works. You either believe in truth and act upon it, or the question arises, and you have to deal with this, do you really believe what God says? And Jesus himself, in Luke 6, 46, says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not obey my commandments? He perceived that this question was going to come out, that people just wanted to live the way they wanted to live, 
but also say he's Lord. And you, you, you can't do that. You get to choose one or the other. You call Jesus Lord and act like he's Lord by following him, or you're just following you or Satan or whatever, right? So no, all of that to say, it's not loving to attend a gay wedding. And I know that's probably offending some of you. You're probably throwing your phone out the window at this point. But for those that understand being, being biblical and being loving is doing what is right, even when the other person, the culture, the world says you're not being, doing the right thing is sometimes very difficult. I would say, and I've been talking about this for a while, I think is going to be more and more difficult as we go through this culture, especially since the culture is going one direction and Christianity is most clearly in another direction. It is not loving to attend a gay wedding. And I will end with Paul's love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, which you may have had at your own wedding or heard, you know, love is patient, et cetera, all those. But in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, don't miss this. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with, here it is, the truth. Lying is not loving, no matter what this culture tells you. Okay, that was a lot. I know that was a lot. That was kind of a heavy one. If you're still with me after all this, man, I love you. I appreciate you. And I do mean that. I really do love you uh, in the biblical way. Okay, so what I want to do is wrap up today with a couple of stories where Christians did the right thing because I don't feel like I do enough of that because this world is just so wacky at this point. So we got a couple of Christians that did the right thing and they happen to be brothers and they happen to be in your favorite thing, sports. Now, I know, I know, uh, sports is not my favorite thing, so don't hold it against me. But for you, hey, I'm doing this for you, everybody. Um, and unfortunately, we're not talking that much about sports. But both of these guys are coaches in football. So, hey, hopefully you appreciate that. Hopefully you like this more because I'm doing a little bit of sports time for you. So these are the Harbaugh brothers. The first one we're going to talk about is John during a Saturday post-press conference after the Ravens playoff victory. And you may have seen this already if you're a sports fan. If not, I want to play this for you because what I love about it is he is unashamedly saying that God is the way and giving glory to God. And man, we just got to do more of that. So let's listen to John first and then we'll listen to his brother, Jim. Here. I just want to start off with this. Um, this is something that was sent to me before the game. And it just is meaningful to me, so I'm going to share it with you uh, because I think it's uh, uh, the right thing to do. And it's a, it's a verse. Um, Greatness, power, glory, victory, and honor belong to you because everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you. The kingdom belongs to you, Lord. You are the head and the ruler over everything. So there's an amazing spirit on this team. And I uh, just want to kind of give honor and glory where it's due. Uh, with that. Um... So, uh, man, fantastic. I love it. I'm so pleased that he just pointed to God and said, this is this is First Chronicles 29, 11. Greatness, power, glory, victory, honor belong to you. That's God, because everything in heaven and earth belongs to you. That's God. The kingdom belongs to you. You're the head and ruler over everything. He said, man, I love it. Um, it's just so fantastic. <clears throat> he, uh, he, they were, they were playing. This was during a post press conference and he just cited this. Um, you know, he went on to say, there's a moment in your life. This is your time. Um, and in another statement, he talked about how, like uh, this one came in December. He was talking about, he talked about the season of Advent. He said, quote, Advent comes from Latin Adventus. If you've been watching this show, you know that because we talked about it at Advent. 
And that means anticipation, preparation for the amazing event, which is the coming of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, celebrating the good news that changes the world and changes it for all eternity. That's what he said in December. Man, we need more of this. We need more of this. And I love it. And I, I mean, I'm sure he'll get all kinds of backlash and people will hate him for speaking out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But man, I love to see it. So that's one of the Harbaugh brothers. Here is another one, John's brother, Jim, who is in the news for speaking at the March for Life, which is a fantastic event. It was the 51st annual this year. You'll recall last year in the 50th annual, they actually celebrated the overturning of Roe v. Wade, where now abortion is not the law of the land. It is in its rightful place, though there's still a lot of work left to do. So they're still having these March for Lives, which is fantastic. This is the University of Michigan head football coach. I actually had a friend of mine come down for this game uh, that was that was in Texas. Um, it was a whole story. But uh, if you're if you're listening, um, yeah, love you and, and appreciate you coming and hanging out with us for like five minutes to attend this game. But anyway. Uh, Jim Harbaugh led his team to national victory over the Washington Huskies, and he addressed the crowd at the March for Life. Let's hear that. Welcome. Welcome, Coach Harbaugh. Thank you, Jeannie. Thank you all for being here. It's a great example that you're setting. It's testimony for the sanctity of life. It's a great day for a march. It's a great day. This is football weather. Let's go. What an incredible honor to get to introduce Ben Watson, talented individual on the field, talented, courageous, fearless leader off the field. He's making a difference in the lives of so many. It's my pleasure. So uh, you get the idea there. He introduced former NFL tight end Benjamin Watson, uh, Watson, excuse me, and he introduced him and gave some encouragement. And I just, I love that. The Daily Caller met up with him that same day, asked him what pro-life means to him. And Harbaugh said, quote, you know, we all talk about human rights. There's really no rights that are important unless you have the right to life. This is a great day for a march, great day for the sanctity of life and football weather. Let's make it a great day, end quote. I love that. And I love where he's thinking that, yes, we have life and we have it through Christ. He is the author and perfecter of our life, of our faith. And I pray that you will follow him with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength with everything that you have, because you sure need it as well as I do. For Church Public, I'm Matt Odegaard. And as always, I hope that you will keep the faith. Again, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate you. I hope this finds you well, and I hope that you will follow Christ in everything that you do. Uh, I know it's a crazy, crazy town out there, and I just hope that you will just follow God in every situation, keeping the faith as you go. We'll see you next time.